that is following Jesus, loving the city, and serving the world. And as we begin a new season of ministry here, it's important for us to take time to consider what it means to be that kind of church which we say that we are every Sunday. If you're new to our community and if you're here for the first time, if you're gathered with us especially, it's a really great week to be joining us, not just because there's an ice cream truck after the service, because also if you're online and joining us, it's a great week to be joining us as we um, yeah, dive in to talk about what kind of church we're trying to be and for you to have a sense of that as well as you start to engage with our church. So over the next three weeks, we'll take each one of those phrases, following Jesus, loving the city, serving the world, and we'll really consider them together. This week is following Jesus. Perhaps it seems obvious to you that a Christian church would be following Jesus. But what does that mean? Because following is a word that's pretty familiar for many of us culturally these days. Many of us probably follow people on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok, I understand is a thing. We follow the happenings of others' lives. We follow their engagement with the latest trends. We consider their thoughts and their opinions about the news of the day. Following now seems to be the world of celebrities and of social media influencers. In some ways, people do follow Jesus that way still today. They're aware of the events of his life. They're generally aware of his worldview and, and the things that he shared with his followers. They're interested in imagining how he would engage with the trends of our time. Many going so far as to loudly proclaim what Jesus' take would be on a specific issue or occurrence. And that's more or less it. Some people go a step further when they say they're following Jesus. I was reading on this church forum just yesterday, somebody's post where she shared, quote, I don't believe that Jesus was divine, but I try to follow him. To follow Jesus as a teacher, to admire him and to emulate him, to follow Jesus as some today might follow Robin DeAngelo or Jordan Peterson to follow Jesus, how some have followed and many still follow Malcolm X or Mahatma Gandhi or Socrates. I myself have even remarked at times that even if I was sure that all the spiritual things in the Bible were untrue, even if I was convinced that every miracle in the gospel were fabrications, that I would still follow Jesus because I find him so compelling. Maybe you feel that way too. And that's true. And this kind of following Jesus is a good first step, perhaps, along the journey. But it falls short because it doesn't fully wrestle with the full claims of who Jesus says that he is or the claims that Jesus makes on all those who would follow him. So a text like today's text, it confronts me. And I think it confronts all of us with the hard truth that what Jesus expects when he talks about people following him is different than those things. It cannot be so safe as just having a general awareness of, nor can it be as intellectual as just adhering to his social and his moral philosophies and finding them to be compelling. 
This is not enough. In today's reading, there's a crowd that is being taught by Jesus. And before the part that we heard, they're compelled by him. They like what he's saying. The various ideas that he's drawing from, they're familiar to them. They're encouraging to them. They're connecting with them. Jesus is preaching a good sermon. He's offering to them an inspiring way of thinking. And maybe you generally like the things that you hear Jesus saying too. But then the part that we heard, that's when Jesus starts to say some weird things. He says things like, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And setting aside just for a moment the question of how a person can be bread, his audience is really rather concerned that Jesus seems to think that he's come down from heaven. But he doesn't stop there. Things get stranger. He continues, whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Okay, well now we have an answer for how a person can be bread but his flesh is bread given for the world? Well, that's concerning. That's more concerning and more confusing, not less. Maybe he should have just left it ambiguous. But he goes on. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Whoa. Whoa, Jesus, hold on there. Calm down. See, you were connecting with us. You were talking about living bread, and we were interested in that. We said, sir, give us this bread always. But now you've gotten too weird for us. Is this some sort of like cultish thing? We're not interested. Sorry, Jesus. There were things that were culturally palatable about Jesus 2,000 years ago things which broadly connected with his audience. And then there were some things that were just not acceptable to be saying at all. Many of the disciples of Jesus who were in the crowd say to each other, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And when Jesus reinforces his claim, when Jesus says, does this offend you? The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. Spirit and life, eh? Well, that's not the kind of walking it back and toning it down a bit that these disciples had hoped for. And so they turn back. They no longer follow him. So too, I think that there are things which are culturally palatable about Jesus today. We know them. Things like judge not, yes, lest ye be judged. Or things like love your neighbor as yourself. These are phrases which many disciples of Jesus, not only in the church but also in our culture, would cling to as the core and soul of his teaching. These are palatable things for Jesus to have said. But honestly, there are also things that Jesus said that are not so easy for us to stomach. Things like love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Not very culturally palatable. Or things like no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. Or things like if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better to lose one part of your body 
than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It got quieter in here, didn't it? We don't like these things that Jesus said. Some of these things, too, we might join those disciples in saying, this, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Who can accept it? Yet in all of these things, just as much as in every other thing, the words of Jesus are still full of spirit and life. So following Jesus, following Jesus means following even when it's hard to find him compelling, even when we can't fully see how it is that what he's saying makes any sense to us or is good news for us at all, or if it's even something that we think anybody can accept. We have been taught collectively to be critical thinkers, to think for ourselves, to only accept what our own minds can reason. And to a point, that's good. But this is not human teaching which Jesus is offering. Rather, Jesus declares it is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. This too may be a hard teaching for our culture, that any who have heard and learned from the Father come to Jesus. But this is the claim which Jesus makes, and it is why we follow him above and before anyone else, because he is the living bread. You see, it's possible to eat bread and not live. Like manna in the wilderness, bread sustains us for a while, but eventually everybody who's ever eaten bread has died. We too will die. So too, it is possible to follow Jesus, even to follow him for a time, seeing him closely as these people did, and to not believe. Many saw him. Many followed him. They were even called disciples of his. And yet they didn't believe. And many see him today and hear his words still spoken today, and they cannot believe, cannot follow in the way that Jesus is calling them to follow. In this story, the crowd has asked for Jesus to always give them the bread that he speaks of. And he's good, and he offers it to them. He says he is the bread of life. But that, it's too strange for them, too outside of what they can reason, well beyond the lines of their cultural comforts. And most of them, they turn away. They turn away. Jesus offers them the very thing that they long for, which is himself. They want Jesus. They need Jesus. They don't need some magic bread of everlasting life, but they need the one who has come from heaven to raise them up. And they cannot realize how much Jesus is, in fact, the very thing that they've asked for the very one that they're looking for, the only one that they need. When we say that we're a church that's following Jesus, we mean that we're a church who wants Jesus, who knows that we need Jesus, 
who has not only seen him, but have believed him and want to remain in him and he in us. And so that means we participate in things when he invites us to do them. Strange things that maybe aren't so strange for us anymore. Things like eating his body and drinking his blood at the table that he provides. Strange things like baptizing people, like giving freely of that which we've worked hard to earn because we realize that everything we have was first given freely to us by God. We choose to give things up for the sake of the freedom that we know we can only find in Christ. And we look for opportunities to follow Jesus as he cares for the widow, the poor, the stranger, and the orphan. We follow Jesus even when it's weird, even when it's strange, even when it's a hard teaching and we're not sure that anybody can accept it. Because we know that it's for our good. We want to be like these disciples. We don't say that enough because we're pretty hard on the 12. But when everybody else leaves, when nobody remains, Jesus' tremendous growth, church growth strategy has been a success, and he's moved it from a crowd to just 12 people. And maybe that's why it's hard to judge the work of pastors. Church growth, crowds to 12. And he turns to these 12 and he says, aren't you going? Aren't you going to go? And Peter speaks for the group. Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. When the faithful one is abandoned and he turns to the ones who were given to him, to his twelve, he finds that they've understood and they choose to keep following. They will not do this perfectly. If you've been in the church for a while, you know the stories of how they do not do this perfectly. But they choose to continue on the journey. They choose not to turn back. They've understood that Jesus is the bread of life. And not only does he alone have the words of life, but he alone is the word of life. So as a church, we believe Jesus when he says that he came from the Father. And we trust him when he says that he came not to do his will, but the will of the one who sent him, that he should lose none but raise them up on the last day. We have seen in his life and in his ministry his faithfulness to his Father. And we know that he will be faithful to the end to welcome us into his coming kingdom. Until then, we try to be as he is. We try to be faithful and true. We try to be bread to a hungry world. We try to remain in him and trust that he will remain in us, always believing in his grace and in his promises. Friends, whether you've worshipped here for 70 years or it's your first Sunday, please know that we are a church that is following Jesus. We don't do it perfectly. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, but we're doing it earnestly. We're not following Jesus perfectly, but we are following him earnestly. We're not likely to get turned around when something is challenging us to stick around when everybody else has run for the hills. 
and we follow him knowing that our good shepherd will keep us in his fold and will search us out. And we follow desiring that in every step we would be found in Christ, who alone has the words of eternal life, and who we have come to believe and to know is the Holy One of God. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we just spent the whole summer walking through the book of 1 Peter. And so here, hearing Peter's first confession, to have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God, we see the change in the work that you can do in a person's life. A person who's following you, not perfectly, but seriously and earnestly. How you work through and change Peter and bless the church and the world through him. And so we desire to be like him and to be like these 12. People who will choose to follow you even when the things you're saying and the things that we're hearing sound pretty strange if we're being honest. Sound confusing and boggle our minds to know that you alone have the words of eternal life. We pray that you would help each of us and all of us together as a church to be the kind of people who are found in you found in you every step of the way, and even when we're not so sure where you are, who can trust that you are still in us, leading us and guiding us, calling us into your coming kingdom. So we pray all this in your name. Amen. We have a few questions for you to reflect on to allow the Spirit to speak to you. So the first is simply, how are you following Jesus right now? Are you following him like a celebrity, like a teacher, or like the Holy One of God? What does that mean? And secondly, just for you to reflect on what are some of those hard teachings of Jesus that you struggle to accept? And when you're confronted with those things, what do you do when you're tempted to turn aside? And then finally, an invitation to pray for your and for our church's capacity to follow Jesus faithfully. So we'll give you just a couple of moments to reflect on those questions.